0: Welcome back to The Movies, a self-explanatory podcast. My name is Daniel Berrios, and today I'll be talking about She Said. Why is sexual harassment so pervasive and so hard to address? Let's interrogate the whole system. Hi, my name is Jody Cantor. I'm an investigative reporter for the New York Times. What have you got? I was told that the wrongdoing in Hollywood is overwhelming. I don't want to be quoted. Period. Understood. In your previous stories, how did you persuade women to tell you what had happened to them? A case I made was, I can't change what happened to you in the past. But together, we may be able to help protect other people. The truth, basically. What is it exactly that we're looking at here? These young women walked into what they all had reason to believe were business meetings. I can still see it, the hotel room, the floor plan. He kept trying to touch me. I asked him to leave me alone. Instead, they say he met them with threats and sexual demands. I was young, scared. Hi. We're from the New York Times. I believe he used to work for Harvey Weinstein. people have tried to write this story before. He kills it every time. Harvey adamantly denies any allegation of assault. He played people. He was a master manipulator. Will you give me just one chance to talk to you? Are you sure that this isn't just young women who want to sleep with a movie producer to try to get ahead? This is bigger than Weinstein. This is about the system protecting abusers. The women who receive these settlements, they can't speak out. They'll be sued if they do. But if someone could speak freely about the payouts... What payouts, John? You have to imagine that every call you make is being recorded and you're being followed. Can you imagine how many Harveys there are out there? You wanna get me killed? Do you wish you hadn't signed up for this story? Do you? No. The only way these women are going to go on the record is if they all jump together. We're all here, Harvey. Who have you talked to? I have three daughters, and I don't want them to ever accept abuse or bullying. I'll go on the record. Go write. It's time to write. This is all going to come out. I was silenced. I want my voice back. She Said is directed by Maria Schrader, retelling the story of the investigation against the abuses of Harvey Weinstein. The sexual assault, the rape, the harassment, the bullying, all of it by two New York Times reporters, uh, Jody Cantor and Megan Toomey, played respectively by Zoe Kazan and Carrie Mulligan movie is the story of that investigation from beginning up until publishing and retells the investigation through the lens of two working moms uh, and the uh, people who were victimized by Harvey's, um, by Weinstein's uh, abuses. And this movie, it's one of the best movies of the year that i've seen it's one of the movies that has stuck with me mainly cuz it's got this way of just how do i explain this what i think makes a great director is when not necessarily not necessarily that you're noticing the choices they make but you understand how each choice is kind of coming together as a whole And everything in this film, from the way a character moves through a frame to whenever the score, another amazing Nicholas Bertels score, uh, featuring and uh, co-composed by his wife, Caitlin Sullivan, a legendary cellist, and Jesus, if the cello isn't fucking kicking your ass in this movie, but anyway... um, whether it's whenever the score swells, whenever uh, we get to see how uh, shot sequences are edited in order to bring people in, the way that the stories of abuse are retold from the people uh, who've accepted them, the way that performers talk about these things, just every little choice in here fits this uh, larger, narrative purpose of giving people the space needed to open up about the injustices they've suffered and whenever they are finally able to kind of have that breathing room it's like a crack in a dam you know this entire movie is built first part of people who don't want to say a damn thing but all it takes is that one person who feels okay enough to say something, that crack in the dam, that broken link in the fence, allows everybody to slip through and share, and it's this uh, catharsis of realizing that when you stand together with other people against abuse, that you know that strength is. Immeasurable. It's unstoppable, so to speak. Uh, as a journalism movie, this thing's gonna get compared to Spotlight. I mean, that's what it is. It's the Spotlight of this year. It's one of those that uh, it's a different kind of journalism that I noticed. Uh, where in Spotlight, it felt like they, um, like Michael Keaton and. Uh, mark ruffalo and crew they were investigating not only the people who would abuse children but also themselves and their uh not necessarily complicit nature but just like their own experiences because everybody was from that same town in their childhood in this one it's more of um kazan uh, and uh sorry Kazan and Mulligan sort of trying to they almost feel like therapy sessions you know and so much of this movie is about the exchanges in glances the things that aren't said but totally expressed in the silence of interactions and sometimes it can be you know as simple as somebody just staring zoe kazan in the face when she asks like oh i heard you used to work for uh harvey weinstein and that pause and just the look of like their face goes from like normal every day to boom immediately back in that moment if you want to talk about something that feels triggering just looking at these people who are reacting to uh just the name of harvey weinstein is really shocking and saddening and uh eerily relevant just you know this is definitely a movie that comes across as uh unfortunately more relevant than ever in my mind oh man uh I guess I'm just going to ramble on this. This is going to be a really rambly episode, but I feel like when I'm exploring Maria Schroeder's choices, there's just so much to break down here that I'm just kind of going into it. First and foremost being the simpatico nature I felt as an ex-journalism kid in college. You know, you want to talk about something that, you know, there is literal... There are very few phrases in the English language that, you know, tighten an asshole faster than on the record or can I quote you. And hell, even in college I would go into the local square. We had to do this assignment for uh it was something about like a holiday festival but we were doing it like in the spring semester. So I'm running around my local square, my town square in like August, talking to people about like Christmas drinks and what they think about a local tradition that we had where it's kind of like this uh, sort of bar crawl, but for a holiday drink. And the amount of people that just went tight-lipped, as soon as I mentioned anything about a paper or like a college magazine. Even that met with so much resistance from folks. And I would get immediately told like, oh, just come back when the manager's here or like, oh, we can have you email them for a potential interview, blah, 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 instead of just getting a quote right there on the spot so can you imagine the difficulty that it would be for someone to not only talk about uh one of the most powerful dudes in hollywood but about their own personal sexual assault it's mind-boggling the task that laid in front of these women uh a great you know look at the spectrum of experience uh Kerry Mulligan's Megan Toomey is introduced in the movie as someone who has sort of been through the ringer investigating these uh abusers first and foremost Trump which uh I don't know Trump as the boogeyman of our time it, it feels reductive to say that but I do get this sort of like sort of a queasy feeling in my stomach anytime you actually hear some of the shit that he said and uh the people that are playing the voices in this movie by the way i have to give a shout out to i'm going down wikipedia uh james austin johnson who's playing donald trump throughout some of these uh this movie that shit it was pretty accurate impression i was it caught me off guard for a minute. I'm like, there's no way they got actual recordings of, like, a conversation here. Like, it, it's pretty dead on. But I don't know, hearing those uh, things that Trump was saying about, like, women and grabbing them wherever and they want it and shit like that. It's immediate sickness to the stomach. And that's one of those great way that Maria Schrader just introduces you to the kind of movie that this is is it's not necessarily that you're gonna see what these people are doing but just the way that they're allowing themselves to publicly like say this shit you know harvey weinstein the audio that this movie gets on him is through like a wire that somebody wears trump was saying the shit out in the open and so for Toomey, me at this point in the movie seeing that no matter what accusations or allegations were brought up against one of the most powerful men in the world that that allowed him and people in a way celebrated him being that way by giving him the highest office in the land it's uh you can see here at the beginning of the movie is just kind of worn down and really sort of like it's almost, you can see it in her face like, is this worth it? She doesn't have to ask. She doesn't ever say it. And I know she ultimately would be like, yeah, this totally is worth it, but it's just beleaguered after fighting such a bullshit battle. And then you've got Jody Cantor, Zoe Kazan's character, who is, uh, comes off as newer on the scene, trying to break a good story. And, you know, really uh, a force of empathy. You can tell that whenever she's talking to victims and Kazan is so good at just like she sucks in all the emotion from any of her subjects and really cares. You know, that's where I think the therapy feeling comes from in this movie. She really gives a shit about these people and you just see it in those big eyes, just staring directly into somebody and with every look on her face. I think Carrie Mulligan jokes at one point that she's the unintimidating one. But uh yeah, I really did feel it. Like I feel that Kazan is just giving comfort and calm and empathy and like I'm here for you, I understand. So that when she takes all of that stuff in, throughout the movie you see how it we see how it affects her. And it's hard. This is some heavy shit that you're hearing. It's people Uh, it's women blaming themselves and thinking if i could have done this i should have been there Uh, i wondered if this happened to other people and they just didn't do it like i was the one who fucked up Uh, by the way we cannot express how important uh, the supporting performances are in this film because without these women uh, performing, uh, especially Jennifer Ely playing Laura Madden and Samantha Morton playing um, Zelda Perkins, those two specifically, but you've also got uh, Angela Yeo playing uh, Rowena Chu, uh, the guy who plays her husband. Let me look that up because I really do want to bring up these people. They're really fucking solid. Uh, Edward Astor Chin, the guy, let's see. I think Harvey's accountant, uh, Lance Mayrov, played by Sean Cullen. And you've got, I think his lawyer, Lenny Davis, played by Peter Friedman. All of these supporting people, you just... One, the women who talk about their stories... Those performances, they have to suck you in. And they do. Especially, God, Samantha Morton comes in this movie and just delivers so much of a firestorm against Weinstein and completely steals the movie within these three minutes. And then, uh, you know, whenever uh, Jennifer Ely is talking, there's this sense of like weight that you feel on her and whenever she's talking to like zoe kazan you can feel her like spirit start to lift a little bit and you can feel her posture change and you can see in her eyes that there's a little bit of lightness but anytime that there's not that there's this sort of again the weight kind of comes back i just love everything about these performances that really get me sucked into the mind of these women and where they were at when harvey was doing these fucked up shit to him and how it really only takes just the mention of the name for them to be immediately triggered back into that moment Uh, one of the great uh shots of this is like the opening by the way uh the uh, director of cinematography natasha brayer who's uh been dp on some of my favorite movies of the last uh 10 years especially the rover i think it's uh, david michaud's the rover and uh Refn's the neon demon especially really fucking cool movies i think she also did the cinematography for *Hunting boy i haven't seen that one yet but neon demon especially that movie's fucking great and it looks gorgeous too i love it and she's doing cool shit here um a lot of um what i noticed just like contrast between background and foreground a lot of glass being used ironically there's this a lot of this is taking place in the new york times building which feels like cheating like they're actually filming in the the new york times building so if you want to talk about production design that's a pretty grand slam win but like cinematography there's so many strong lines and uh just a shit ton of glass where a lot of different sources of light can kind of come in naturally. And that's just a really cool place to be. And ironically in a movie about exposing the truth, but these people being scared to come out, the whole thing being surrounded with glass, which is transparent, but steel, which is, you know, like barring and tough and difficult to break through. It's this cool little contrast. Anyway, uh, there's this great opening bit where we see uh, a woman kind of stumbling upon a movie set and there's a little mini story within maybe a minute and a half and it's this great introduction to how something that can be so exhilarating and exciting And fulfilling creatively to somebody like being part of a movie and set and learning what things do and trying to get a job doing that can be completely shattered and damaged by uh, someone who believes that their desire is more important than someone's life, really. Uh, not to say that uh, I don't think anybody ever accused Harvey Weinstein of murder, but you know, sometimes there are just these offenses that really do. Um, I think at one point one of the women says that, like, just when I was starting to, I think it was Laura actually, who was like, just when I was starting to find my voice, he robbed it. Being voiced creatively. Because you're starting to get into the space where you really start to enjoy what you do and you feel like, oh, this might be something I really, really want to do. But now it's damn near impossible to even enter that form of creativity, to even let that part of your brain go without re- being reminded of the abuse and the trauma suffered during that time. And that is, uh, I think, partially what the movie is really saying is like, outside of like the obvious crime that's the one that's really goes unnoticed by most people and i guess unless you really talked about this shit in therapy which it didn't really seem like any of the women were doing in this movie that that kind of shit it's just the unintended not unintended the unexpected consequences of suffering something like that you know it's It's way deeper than what we thought. Um, Speaking of, like, little uh, context pieces in there, I really liked uh, the Jewish representation in this. Uh, Zoe Kazan's uh, Jodi Cantor. There's, like, some Jewish representation there. Whenever she's talking to the accountant, they start bringing up the Holocaust at one point and how... They come from families and a community that sometimes it's easier like on the heart and the soul to stay quiet about the things that burden because when they burden, they come so strongly and just having that kind of context in there like, oh, these are people who are used to shutting up, who are used to to who have used silence as sort of a defense mechanism but can also recognize how dangerous that mechanism can be and you see it exchanged in a bu- in a g- couple of glances and maybe a few words of dialogue but that context creates so much characterization which i guess is one of the benefits of a uh, Forgive me, I usually go on YouTube, find interviews to see how to pronounce the names, and I have not found hers. Uh, Rebecca Linkovitz, a screenwriter. She wrote uh, a lot of uh, movies just about women. Uh, Ida, Collette, and Disobedience are part of her screenplay um, credits, which all solid flicks from what I've heard. I've only seen Ida. And I need to re-see it again. I'm a big uh, Pavlikovsky's uh, Cold War fan, so I need to go back and watch Ida. Anyway, uh, just little bits of characterization like that that only pop in, in in just the smallest amount of dialogue needed. I think that's just really cool writing. Uh, going back, I guess, to the cinematography, I love this... Uh, I... I I really, 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 really love the way this thing is just lit. And it takes these, um, what's it called? It takes these normal spaces in New York and on some level, it'll show them to you almost like a Where's Waldo moment where we'll be at like the New York Times cafeteria. And I'm trying to find out Or I'm trying to find, you know, Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan because they, in my brain, I've seen them in other movies, they pop out like that. But the shot isn't framed in that way. It's just a crowd of people. And then you look and, oh, there they are. But the introduction of crowd shots like that gave me this feeling that, oh, wait, they're having these conversations about some of the most difficult, vile, like, things one can experience just out in the open so it's this feeling that like oh this information is public knowledge but no one's paying attention a bunch of crowd shots in this thing and uh just anytime they shoot to a crowd it always kind of throws the actresses uh off center or off focus or like your eye doesn't really know where to land and i think that's kind of a feeling that like yeah you don't like this stuff is in plain view but it's difficult to find unless you're paying attention and the need for people to pay attention uh there's a great uh editing choice whenever uh jody is introducing the idea of investigating weinstein to uh to fuck megan i'm sorry i'm mixing carrie and zoe i hope y'all can forgive me But, uh, the way it's shot is that when Carrie is first, uh, when Megan is first introduced to this idea, she's like off center, a little bit further away from the camera, you can tell she's farther away, but whenever, uh, whenever Jody's talking, she's center frame, she's closer to the camera, she's like, the first and foremost, the thing we're focused on, uh, the object we're focused on in the frame. But as uh, Megan starts getting interested in the idea, really brought in, we start to see that her framing echoes Zoe's directly. And it's like, that's a really cool little mix of like cinematography and editing and direction that slowly brings these two women together as like a powerhouse force. Um, Powerhouse force, they're working women they're dealing with their own shit as mothers and you know watching the flood of shit that they're handling. Uh for one, great representation of just husbands like the husbands that realize there's a lot of tough shit that these women have to deal with and they're always helping holding a baby, you know, taking care of the kids, you know, there's something really nice about having like positive dude representation, like really positive dude representation here that, uh, I don't know, supportive husbands being supportive husbands are, you know, are really cool to see in film. And I guess I'm too used to like the Simpsons family guy archetype of the family that, you know, I don't know. This is a night change of pace. But uh, watching them deal with uh, having daughters of their own and having this stuff impact them. God, there's a scene between uh, me- uh, not Megan, between Jody and her daughter on Zoom where Zoe Kazan and I basically started tearing up at the exact same moment. And as a dad, it started fucking with me pretty hard. It's weird. My wife and I always, she always asks me, and we know, she knows the answer because she's asked me this before, but she's asked me sometimes, like, what do you think would be difficult? What would you rather uh, raise? Like, if we were pregnant again, would you rather want a boy or a girl? And I used to, before my son was born, just be like, oh, I, you know, I don't care. But after Gabe is born, and after some of the shit I've seen since he was born, I just immediately spit out guy, because to be a woman, to be a young girl, growing up in this time where our president is a our president of the United States was a rapist, like our ex president was a rapist, and he's still trying to come back. <laughs> it's like like open out fascism is out here you know reproductive rights are stripped away by people who have absolutely no motherfucking business involving themselves in it transphobia homophobia like i can't imagine what it's like growing up in this and so to see these women investigating this particular story while living their own lives suffering threats and dealing with the emotional repercussions of like investigating stuff like this while knowing that like yeah this could have happened to anyone i love it is gut-wrenching and all in the background is caitlin sullivan's cello just fucking digging into your soul and nicholas Bertel probably there on a fucking piano just banging away and good god um this thing is uh one of my favorite. it's a really really damn good score. I mean it feels stupid to say that about Nick Bertel, who part of his uh I guess music I've stolen for ha- no it's not Nicholas Bertel. never mind. never mind, scratch that from the record. ignore what I just said. but uh Bertel's score is just it can be uh I guess gentle and nurturing and comforting at times but man when they put the fucking foot on the gas and start really going in on like investigating fuckers and pulling up all the information like that shit is just like it feels pull it's pulsating it gives propulsion to the movie it helps and yet it's another choice that kind of makes this thing feel like a really paranoid thriller oh one of the great oh my god some of the great direction in this is just the blocking of certain uh, shots where like they'll cut to uh, Megan and Jody just walking uh, down like a road or whatever or walking down the street or something and there's going to be a couple construction guys just on the left of the frame and immediately you can just feel my, like, my feel my asshole just go because like that instinct you know like construction workers and women like we know that stereotype and we know that you know phenomenon and it feels like just a way that schrader's like keeping us all aware you know in the crowd shots we're not aware of what's really going on at all but now since we're more involved in the story it's like we're hyper aware she's actively Bringing the audience into the perspective of what it's like to be a woman on an everyday basis, because they have to be hyper aware of this shit, lest somebody catch them slipping. And it's a horrific way to think about stuff. It's a horrific way to walk around. I can't imagine anyone relaxing. But uh, yeah, that's, that's what it's like. So we've got to be involved in that particular sentiment. Uh, there will be, like, cars that are, like, a little too close to Zoe Kazan. And I'm just sitting there like, what the fuck, dude? And again, it's not a movie that's, like, showing you anything, really. There's no, you know, H- Harvey Weinstein stand-in that's, like, in the flat. There's no, like, flashbacks with a Harvey Weinstein stand-in. I It's, like, the movement through a hotel hallway mixed in with audio is just uh, disgusting and it breaks your heart and just the uh, hell even the placement of the subtitles is weird to me because like if i'm looking at the frame and i want to read the subtitles i have to go so close to the bottom of the frame that you know i feel like my eyes darting back and forth like up and down, up and down, up and down. So it's like this discomfort is accentuated by the placement of these damn subtitles. Like everything about this movie is meticulous into bringing you into the point of view of these women, whether it be the people who are investigating the story or the people who fucking are the story. And no matter what, it's all enthralling. Anybody who's out here like, oh, this needed flashier directing, and da here, da, directing, da, 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 you motherfuckers, you fucking Philistines, you just aren't paying attention. You aren't paying attention or you don't give enough of a fuck to pay attention. But yeah, uh, wow. That's, as I'm thinking about this more and more, it's like, wow, every choice in here really was built to kind of portray uh this sentiment this feeling of what it's like uh it kind of bummed me out though because I was the only guy in my screening it was like a six o'clock showing on a Sunday and I was literally the only person in there which I guess on one hand is cool because like whenever shit hit the fan I could be like oh fuck and like really get loud with it but at the same time it's one of those that like oh a lot of people need to be watching this because i learned a lot of shit like half of this movie feels like a schoolhouse rock special because they'll teach you everything about um uh, the way it was the way that uh hollywood's uh hollywood's uh system is set up to basically just reward abusers as long as the abusers are in power everybody kowtows to their will and it can like blackball anybody from getting a meeting it, it's a very strange double feature to watch this movie after watching tar because i have a feeling you know tar is a little bit more of like a narrative version it's a different version of this but it's a similar version of this but uh yeah tar she said two of my favorite movies of the year, but they're also like eerily similar in regards to like how people abuse their own power in uh, the name of, I don't know, ego, I guess, or insecurity, I don't know, what the fuck. Uh, Let's see here. They, uh, They have Ashley Judd pop into this movie, and I think Gwyneth Paltrow is in it too, just her voice though. She never makes an appearance. Ashley Judd shows up and uh, again, it just, good stuff. <laughs> it's it's all good stuff. And uh, I don't know, it's never really, one of the great choices is that it's never that, we never get that emotionally connected to Ashley Judd via the way the movie's framed. It's Ashley Judd always like being intercut with a phone call or it's her on zoom whereas the people that the movie really wants to focus on the people who technically quote-unquote don't really have a voice the assistants the production assistant the production people that kind of thing they're the ones that are front and center they're the ones that are actually with the investigative reporters doing so they get the main focus and so while it's good to have that context from Ashley Judd and Gwyneth Paltrow it's nice to just you know have that be at arm's length so that the movie can really focus on the people who it wants to give the strength of a voice to man uh, there's so much in this and i didn't want to and one of the things that the trailer played that doesn't necessarily come across in the movie the trailer makes this seem like every scene is there just for Nicholas Bertel to go dum, dum, dum with the piano and really amp up the dramatics of it and it never really feels like that there's definitely the whole education of what's going on and it's sort of the this is the Harvey Weinstein investigation 101 for all of you and I appreciate that and I get that but the way the characters talk about it is just very much like matter of fact, this is the investigation. This is the way we're going about it. But they're also talking about the investigation in a more personal point of view, just about how they're dealing with it. You know, when uh, Carrie and Zoe are asking, talking to each other about like how many Harvey's do you think are out there? You know, it feels mostly like two coworkers just, like, getting off work and venting about, like, the difficult shit that they had to deal with. And I also think about it, too. For these women, it's so hard for them to unload something like this because of the emotional burden that is required of someone to maintain dealing with the story for however long they did. I think this thing was for months. Uh, I do not want to ignore Rebecca – not Rebecca – in the book, in the book, Rebecca Corbett, who is played by Patricia Clarkson, the legend Patricia Clarkson, uh, just has this like weird like prophet style glow and demeanor about her. Like she really is like pushing her to uh, reporters to do the best they physically can and focus on getting the evidence and the statements and you need like hardcore like paper you know you need things that are signed you need statements that kind of thing but all in the while without involving herself in a way that would kind of uh usurp uh not usurp that's a bad fucking term let me see here uh Without her interfering in the investigation, she's really like their north star, trying to give them as much motivation as possible. And fucking shout out to and- Andre Andre Brar, uh, fucking Captain Holt, playing Dean, uh, their boss. It's just the support that's there, especially when he's gotta talk to the Harvey Weinstein on the phone. There is absolutely no bullshit with him. He's there like, look, I believe in these people. I believe in what they're doing. They're getting my support. And if you don't like it, we can be done with this conversation right now. He suffers absolutely no bullshit. And from all the stories that we see told in this movie about people that did kowtow to Harvey, to have that one just like strong, like deep-throated dude – Who's just like, no, we're not dealing with this Harvey and we're done. The end. You know, someone who's standing up. It was a nice addition. You know, it's a nice extra piece of context to add to all of this where it's this sort of strength and numbers thing. And man, just everything about this movie is meticulously placed in a way that really builds on that idea of strength and numbers and just all of it all the choices for me really fucking work so i think i've been rambling about this thing for pretty long time so i'm just gonna straight up say it she said fantastic film it's a bit of a downer but man if you uh are interested at all in learning how this shit went down that this is sort of like mandatory watching you know this is a great journalism movie it's a wonderful uh I guess study on how you uh how stories like this impact the people that write them but also it's a you know, it's a I guess celebration of the women who found the strength to like stand up and say absolutely no more fuck this guy we're taking him the fuck down together and just inspiring made me tear up a couple times and yeah, Maria Schrader, bravo, like that. All the choices made in this thing absolutely served and did an incredible good job. So thank you very much, my friends, for listening to another episode of The Movies. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at themovies_pod. underscore pod. If you would also like to follow me on Instagram and Hive, those platforms, I'm just in there as TheMoviesPod. So I'm going to leave y'all with one of my favorite songs of the past decade. A fiery, defiant fuck you to pieces of shit entitled men in the world. From Laura Jane Grace of Against Me, from Transgender Dysphoria Blues, this is Black Me Out. Take care, my friends. You have a good one. If I owed you something, black me!